Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Give me liberty or give me death. These stirring words by colonial politician Patrick Henry seem a little outdated these days. Now it's more like, give me liberty or I'll cancel you or vote against you or kill you. And what about God's take on the subject? What kind of liberty does the government of God assure? Here to talk about this subject is Dr. Tim Jennings, who joins us via Skype. Dr. Jennings, how, in your opinion, does the government of God define liberty, and what does that mean to us? Yeah, that's a great question, Charles, and I think it's one of the core issues in the conflict between good and evil Mm. that is being played out in the final days before Christ's return, and it has been one of the issues that has been happening in the conflict from the beginning. When you think about liberty, it, it is a principle upon which healthy relationships and human existence functions. Mm. Love cannot exist in an atmosphere without freedom. Robots can't love. You can't program a computer to love. And you can't get love from people by threatening to kill them if they don't love you. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that God has absolutely demonstrated he will not compromise on in the running of his universe is protecting the freedom and liberty of the consciences of his intelligent beings. We'll go right to the core, but then we're going to back up and we're going to look at history, mm-hmm. Bible history and human history, and, and we're going to look at how this gets misunderstood. But we'll go right to the core of it, and that is in the life of Jesus. And in John 13, the Bible says that all power was given unto Jesus. Some versions say all authority. The word is in the Greek is the same word. Some, some say authority, some say power. But all of it was given to Jesus at that point, who, of course, we know is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and when Jesus had received all power, first act was to get up and wash dirty feet. But then we end up going into the crucifixion weekend. And what do we see demonstrated by Jesus holding all power is that even when his life, when he's being mistreated, falsely accused, railroaded, perjured against, and, and then beaten and crucified, he would not use power to stop people from doing injustice to him. Mm-hmm. He left us free to kill him. That's how much freedom means to him. Doesn't mean that the people who did it are good people. Doesn't mean that they'll find salvation, but it means that God does not win his cause by using power. And this is what it says in Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by the way the spirit works as the Lord. And the spirit is described as the spirit of truth and love. And what God wants from his intelligent beings is he wants our love, our trust, our friendship, our loyalty, our trustworthiness, that he can depend on us and we won't let him down, and our faithfulness to him. And you cannot get love, trust, loyalty, devotion, faithfulness from people by threatening to kill them if they don't give it to you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. It's interesting that you make the power here 
not just something that you're able to do. It's also the power to not do something. So, so yes, it's not about holding power. God is infinitely power. He is not a weak God. He's not a right. marshmallow God. He's not a God that is impotent. He is all-powerful God. And whether God has the power was never a question in the controversy between good and evil. Satan and his rebellion, Lucifer and his rebellion, never suggested anywhere that we have in any inspired record do we find satan suggesting that he has more might and power than god mm-hmm. that was he never challenged god to an open arm wrestling contest or or any type of of challenge of physical might because that was never the question the question was can we trust god with possessing and using mm-hmm. infinite power yes it was not holding power it was use of power and you know there's an old saying that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that has been proven true over and over again for sinful human beings, and even we would say at this point Satan, that the more power humans get, the more corrupted they become by it. And that's why in the United States, the government was founded by the founding fathers with what's called checks and balances and breaking up of the powers of government into the three different branches to limit how corrupt the uh, power could could lead people. They'd have someone to hold them in check mm-hmm. because it's understood. What Jesus proved at the cross is even though he had all power, he was not corrupted by it. And this is why in Revelation, when we see the vision of Jesus after the uh, resurrection and ascension, the heavenly beings are constantly saying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. He is worthy to have the power because he has demonstrated he is the one who's safe and trustworthy with the power. He will never use that power abusively or coercively to force us. We are left really free. And this is really critical. Satan's view, he understands that if you can corrupt this idea of liberty in the hearts and minds of people, then you corrupt how we view the one who holds the power, and we undermine trust which interferes with our salvation. And so think about this in any loving relationship. If you actually believe the person you're married to would use power to torture and kill you if you let them down, if you stop loving them, if you believe that was true, that that they're only kind to you, they're only good to you, they're only gracious to you as long as you are faithful and loyal. But if you stop loving them, they will put you in a rack torture you to death. What would that do to you? Would you love them more? Would you begin to fear them? Fear. Absolutely fear. Yes. Okay. So so Satan knows if he can portray God as the source of inflicted pain, suffering, and torment upon rule breakers, then he can undermine the principle of freedom in operation in our hearts and the way we relate to God. And we begin to relate to him out of fear rather than out of love and trust. And so this is the one thing God will not compromise on. And therefore, you go right back to the very beginning in Eden, and what did he say to Adam and Eve? In the day you eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Mm -hmm. And immediately Satan twisted that to most people today, hear it to say, in the day you eat of the tree, I will be forced by justice to kill you. Yes. And this is a lie. This was not what God said. You will not find that in the inspired record. You will find the warning in the day you eat, you will die. It would be similar to a parent maybe saying to a child, in the day you jump off the Empire State Building, you will surely die. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, that is a true statement. In the day you jump, you will put yourself out of harmony with the principles of how life exists for us, and you will reap what you've sown, and that's what the Bible teaches in Galatians, those who reap to the carnal nature from that nature reap destruction. If you break trust with me, God is saying you will sever the connection with me, who is the source of life, and you will surely die. There's no life in yourself. You don't have life. You're not the source of life. I'm the source of life. I created you. I want you to live. And that comes from relationship of trust with me. But if you break that trust, then you will reap the result of that and you will die. But Satan has twisted that. Yes. So most people actually think that it's right and just to punish by infliction of some pain and suffering or penalty those who have done wrong. And this is where we're heading in society today. In society today, society is galvanizing around this idea that justice is achieved through gaining political or governmental power and using the reins and levers of governmental power to punish people who won't live their personal individual lives the way you believe is right for them to live. Right. In other words, coercing conscience through through um, economic sanctions, restrictions of liberty, uh, termination from jobs, and many other types of, of pressures being brought to bear. And the Bible prophesies that this is, in fact, how the beastly system of revelation operates through coercive pressures upon people. But that system will not arise to do injustice upon people, it will arise claiming to pursue justice, to make things better. And if you believe that you can achieve that through inflicted punishments, then you align with that and you support that. But the Bible demonstrates that the one thing that God cherishes and protects and will not compromise is liberty. And when we have a new heaven and a new earth, we will be safe in that new heaven and earth because every single human being and angel being that lives there will be completely trustworthy and safe to live next door to. They would rather die than harm you. We will not be safe there because God has angels with flaming swords yeah. barring the way to your neighbor's house. Dr. Jennings, give me a description in the next three and a half minutes here of the program. Give me a description of what an earthly government would act like if it was using liberty as defined by God. What could we expect from it? We see that as described in our Declaration of Independence, mm -hmm. that we hold that we are endowed with certain inalienable rights. Yes. All men are created equal and endowed with certain inalienable rights given to us by our Creator, and that no government has the right to intrude upon those. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is governments do not give us our rights. This is another subtle lie that has come in, that the government gives us the right to free speech, or the government gives us the right to pursue happiness, or to life, or to liberty, or to free assembly, or free association. These are rights we get from our government. No, these are inalienable rights endowed to us by our Creator God, because only in liberty do people thrive, do people grow, does love exist, do we develop, do we advance. As you stifle liberty, not only do you destroy love out of the heart, you destroy the capacity in the human being for development and advancement. People are stifled by that. What that looks like in our world today is adhering to the constitutional principles espoused in the um, founding documents of the United States, which are being eroded quite yeah. aggressively oh in our society today. Yeah. And the righteous use of physical power in a world of sin 
is to restrain the evildoer from being able to carry out their evil. Mm -hmm. So you restrain a molester from having the liberty to go out and molest after they have been demonstrated to do those things. That's where we then detain and put in some type of constraint. We call that prison so that they can't go out and abuse people. If you see somebody that is using physical might to beat somebody up, then the right use of police power is to intervene and restrain and hold them back from doing that or to steal and so forth. So it's righteous in a world of sin to use physical power to simply hold in check the evildoer from doing harm. But what you cannot do with might and power is you cannot advance righteousness. You can't, through might and power and threats of punishment and coercive force, get people to love, get people to become trustworthy, get people to become honest and loyal and faithful and kind and true. You cannot get good quality character development through legislation and coercive enforcement. And so it's the principles of liberty. Truth, love, and liberty are God's big principles that his kingdom is advanced through. If you actually uplift Christ and look at him and don't accept a false model, which many people do, of an authoritarian Christ who is coming back with with a rod of iron to use power and coercive force to punish the nations. All right. Well, listener, we have listened today to the correct view of God and the liberty that he offers, and I'm sure that Dr. Jennings would want us all to apply that in our own lives. Dr. Jennings, how do we start doing that? Well, I want to recommend that people visit our website, commonreason.com, and type in law of liberty. Type in God's design laws. Mm -hmm. Do some searches and look at some of the resources we have where you can actually dig in. And these laws are testable laws that reality are built upon, and you can put them to the test and realize that what I'm describing is reproducible and reliable, and it never changes because it emanates from the heart and character of God. Hmm. This program was sponsored by Common Reason Ministries. Dr. Jennings has been with us via Skype. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for sharing your heart today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Together.